0: Are you driven to innovate and lead transformation in your organisation? Our digital innovation programme provides you with the tools to navigate complexity and chaos and successfully deliver digital change. Visit imi.ie for more information. IMI, we grow leaders.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the IMI Talking Leadership podcast. Today my guest is Joanna Pasts. Joanna is an internal communications expert, having won multiple prestigious awards, and she's run internal comms for organizations with 18,000 plus people. Joanna now teaches, writes, coaches, and delivers informative sessions on internal comms as the founder of The Curious Route. Joanna recently presented a lunch and learn session for our IMI corporate members, so today we'll dive a little bit deeper into some of the topics that we covered on that session. Joanna, go ahead, tell us a bit about your background and what got you so interested in internal communications?
0: Thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. Well, if I think back in time, I studied sociology here in Trinity College in Dublin because I was always super fascinated by like people and culture, particularly by how do groups of people interact with each other? How do they develop norms and cultures? And I really had no plans to be a communications professional probably didn't even know that that was a thing, but I always loved reading, writing, explaining things. And I sort of began doing communications work while I was working in the nonprofit sector. And I sort of fell in love. Um, Particularly, I liked explaining complicated things in a way that people could understand easily. I liked making boring topics really interesting, busting the jargon that exists inside organizations, and then I just started working in comms from there. I worked in a range of roles. I worked in financial services, worked in a couple of tech companies. Probably my favorite in-house job I ever did was I worked as the head of internal communications with On Garda Siakana, which is the Irish police force. This was a brand new role in the police. There had never been a head of internal comms before in the hundred year history of the police. So I was so excited to go in. I was able to develop and create the first national internal comm strategy, build the team, build the systems, and lucky for me, uh, COVID hit when I was in that role. I was less than a year in the job, and so quickly became crisis communications and really effectively communicating behavior changes in a, quite a chaotic and fast-moving environment. So if you think about the nature of policing, for example, like how does a police officer do social distancing in the course of their job? all the behaviors around wearing face masks and washing your hands all of that so i would say it was a very tiring job but it was an extremely rewarding job and i actually won a bunch of national and international communications awards for that job so that was brilliant and then last year i decided to go solo and do my own thing so i set up my own consulting practice the curious route so i now work with loads of different clients all over the world in lots of different ways to help them communicate with their employees more effectively. So I spend a lot of time doing training and development for communications professionals. I run a membership community for professionals who really want to spend time with other comms pros that get it. So I think I could probably safely say I'm a bit of an internal comms nerd. I just really, really enjoy what I do for a living.
1: Well, Joanna, as a bit of an internal communications nerd, I'm sure you've worked with a lot of organisations over the years that are very concerned with best practice as opposed to being concerned with what works for their organisations specifically. So can you tell us a bit about why best practice
0: doesn't always work? So last year, I'm going to tell you a story. Last year, I was walking on the beach. Um, I live by the sea here in Dublin. And I got to the beach and I realised I'd forgotten my headphones. I had planned to listen to a podcast and I ended up just walking along On my own with my thoughts and I was kind of thinking about something that a student of mine had asked me earlier in the week about what's the best practice for engaging remote employees and then I thought god this actually sounds similar to a DM I got on LinkedIn last week where someone was asking me what's the best practice for comms in a hybrid workforce and then I thought oh hang on I've also seen this concept of best practice in blogs I think I saw it on a course last week and I kind of realized that actually in internal communication we seem to be a little bit obsessed with this idea of best practice but for me the idea that there is a single ideal best practice to follow for how to communicate with employees it's just fundamentally the wrong approach and it's sort of the opposite of a curiosity approach isn't it like With the best practice approach, you really, you're obsessed with finding out what are other organizations doing? What are our competitors doing? And you're trying to copy that, rather than getting curious about what does your own organization need and going from there. And for me, fundamentally, best practice doesn't work because context matters. And every organization is so different. So think about how many variables could be different. I mean, the organizational strategy and goals are different. The leadership styles are different. The employee audiences are different. Even thinking about the communicator, their competence, their level of resources, the tech available to them, that's all different. So the idea that you can just kind of take a best practice that's worked for other people, do it yourself. It doesn't really work like that. And it's just important, I think, I'm always telling people what works really well for one organization, it might not work for you. There's a really interesting guy called Stephen Shapiro. He wrote a book with a great title. I'm gutted he got this title before me. His book's called Best Practices Are Stupid. I mean, it's so direct. But he actually says in that book, we should probably call them proven practices or past practices to explicitly call out that really best practices, it's just a collection of stuff that other people have done in the past with good results. But like the world is changing so fast. So something that might have worked in the past might not work in the future. Something that might have been a best practice six months ago could be completely irrelevant today. So um, I just really feel like we need to move away from our obsession with best practice and instead lean into our curiosity a little bit more to understand, well, actually, what does our organization need? What do our employees want? And find that sweet spot between the two.
1: That's really interesting, Joanna, and it probably ties in quite a bit with what you experienced in the Garda with the COVID situation, because I guess that was quite unprecedented. So there was no real best practice for you to follow. So how can an organization move away from those proven practices and move towards good practices that suit their organizations?
0: I like this question because I sometimes when I talk about this, people think, oh, do you mean I have to like, throw away all the institutional knowledge that has been built up, but I have to come up with a solution from scratch every time. I mean, I'm not suggesting we throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think it's very useful to learn from other practitioners, to see what other organizations are doing, but to use them as a way of gathering insights and learnings rather than as a roadmap what well, they did, X, so we also need to do X. So I think a simple switch we could make is. Exactly as you have said, there, call them good practices instead of best practices. I mean, I'm a communicator, so I know that words matter. So when I hear best practices, I kind of get my back up because it stifles innovation, doesn't it? If someone says this is the best way to do something, well, you can't do any better than best. So it kind of shuts down other avenues of doing things. You may be inadvertently stifling innovation in your team if you are talking about best practice because you're kind of telling them there's no better way to do X, Y, and Z. So I think changing the language that we use is a very simple and practical thing. And good practices, that language just opens up that possibility of iterating and innovating on existing practices. There are always better and new ways to do anything. And I think that language can help us with that.
1: I want to go back slightly to your event that you ran with us here in IMI a couple of weeks ago, and that event was actually titled Curiosity is the Antidote to Best Practice. So why is that the case? And how can we all be more curious, especially as leaders or as internal communicators within our own organizations?
0: I knew that, but topic and that title would pique people's interest and i deliberately was a little bit provocative in that title by positioning something that's just widely accepted as good which is best practices as something that needs to be cured with an antidote because i really wanted people to see that title and go wait what like what the hell is wrong with best practices so it was very deliberate on my part to get people interested in paying attention for me curiosity is like a superpower like for anyone but particularly for anyone that works in a communications role if you think about let's look at an example think about two hypothetical employees you have employee one and an internal stakeholder comes to them gives them a piece of work to do and they do it maybe it takes them two days they do a good job they get it done on time but it turns out the task was completely unrelated to any of the strategic goals It wasn't related to any priorities. It didn't deliver any value. So this employee was fundamentally not curious. They didn't ask any questions. They just churned out the work and got the task done. Think about that same scenario with a curious employee. So this employee has the same internal stakeholder, the same request for the same work, but this employee gets curious before they invest two days of their time into it. So they might ask questions like, how does this align with our strategy? Or what is the objective here? Or what would success look like? So embracing curiosity in this really simple, practical way can help you and your team to focus on stuff that matters and stop wasting time on stuff that doesn't matter. Because I see a lot of people, you get to the end of the day, they get to 5 o'clock, and they're like, where did the day go? I don't even know what I did. I didn't achieve anything on my to-do list. So I'd encourage anyone just to get curious Ask more questions. I think curiosity is um, its a bit like a muscle. I think the more you use it, the better you get. And we were all very curious as children, weren't we? Like, if you think back to when you were a kid, you probably always asked loads of questions and wrecked the heads of your parents. But you weren't afraid of asking questions. You weren't afraid of looking silly. And I think there's value in reconnecting with your childlike curiosity because it never fully goes away. It's still there. And you can use this to leverage really good results in business.
1: Joanna, you're definitely not the first person on the podcast to bring up embracing that childlike curiosity. So it's always great to hear again. And it's definitely something I encourage people to take heed of and just try out when you're trying to be more curious and more creative. Now, another thing that you mentioned during your event was Diversity. And I guess comms can't be a one-size-fits-all solution because there are so many different types of people who work within the same organization. So, how can companies tailor their internal comms to diverse individuals while still maintaining some
0: form of consistency? So the trick here really is to go back to comms 101, go back to the basics, the fundamentals of good communication is know your audience whether that's sending an email, doing presentations, standing on a stage, the very first thing you need to think about is who is listening to this or who is reading this and what do I want them to think or feel or do as a result of this communication? I see a lot of leaders and managers spend a lot of time planning communications and they say things like, oh, we need to tell them this or we need to get the slides right. They're very, very focused on what they want to tell people but they kind of forget to think about, well, who am I communicating with? What do they care about? What level of understanding do they already have? And that can be totally different depending on your audience. So say, for example, you are uh, the head of engineering in a software company and you want to communicate a new feature in the product. Your team has spent ages building this amazing feature in the product. It's finished now. You're ready to tell everyone about it. But if you want to communicate this in a town hall to your Department of Engineers, it would be totally different to the way that you would communicate it to the board directors, for example. So if you're having a town hall with all the engineers, think about that audience. I mean, the language you use would be different. They're very familiar with all the technical language, all the jargon that's used, the level of detail. You can go into way more detail with this audience. They're going to want more information about the intricacies of how it all works. They probably also want to know which team members worked on this and a bit of recognition and shout out. But if you're communicating that same topic to the board of directors, the language would be totally different. They don't want to be down in the weeds. Like, bring me up, talk clearly, lose the technical language, get out of the details. I don't really care so much about what the feature is, but tell me about what the feature will deliver for the business. So what's the impact of that feature? So when you're thinking about communication in an organization, there's really a level here of thoughtfulness and care and personalization. And the biggest thing that I always hear employees say when I run focus groups is, this communication has nothing to do with me. So people are drowning in a sea of irrelevant stuff because of the, just this, I call it the fire hose of information. Let's tell everybody everything all the time. Please stop doing that. It's very, very frustrating. It makes for a very noisy kind of place. So a very practical way to embrace your curiosity is just try to understand the audience that you're communicating with. Think about them when you're planning your comms. So what kind of messaging do they need? What language will they understand? What's the best channel to reach them? What are their frustrations? What do they already know about this project? Ask some of these questions before you do it.
1: Joanna, when you were just talking there about presenting to a board or communicating to a group of individual employees, it just struck me. I think we usually think of internal communications as something that either a dedicated person does or the HR department takes care of. But I guess that's not always the case. Is it true that all of us as staff members and as leaders need to be practicing some kind of internal communications during our day to day?
0: I mean, well, we're all doing it all the time. Everyone is communicating inside an organization. That could be having an instant messaging conversation on Teams, could be sending an email, it could be in a team meeting. This is all forms of internal communication. But communication is one of those funny skills that everybody just thinks they're brilliant at and they think they don't need any training. I did see something on LinkedIn earlier this month that said that communication is one of the most in-demand critical skills for 2024. And there was a really interesting report out last year from Axios. They did a report into the implications of ineffective workplace communication. And they have suggested that it's costing businesses in the US up to $2 trillion a year in lost productivity just by bad communication. So there is obviously a role for dedicated internal communications team. You do need that. But part of the work that they can do is supporting leaders and managers to improve their communication skills. I'm always kind of amazed when I see organizations promoting people to manager, but then not giving them any help in communicating with their teams or even really explaining that communication is a really key part of a manager role. Particularly, this can be, um, it can be a struggle for people who maybe they've been promoted or their technical abilities or for hitting all their sales targets. So they've got great skills in that sense, but like maybe they've got terrible people skills or communication abilities. So they need to be supported to understand the good skills of communication, how to listen well, how to communicate properly, how to demonstrate empathy, all of those things. And particularly for senior leaders, they always need to be practicing and improving their communication skills because they're the ones that need to tell this really compelling story of the big picture of the organization, bringing the vision and mission to life, talking about the values, using storytelling to explain where have we come from? Where are we going in the future? How do we all play a role in this together? So storytelling skills, really, really important for senior leaders so they understand how to engage an audience, how to hold their attention and how to motivate them to action. And now in fairness, that comes easier to some people than others, which is why I think training and development is important.
1: Thanks very much, Joanna. Now, I want us to talk a bit about trends. And I know we're trying to move away from best practices, but are there any emerging trends in internal communications that we need to keep in mind for the near
0: future? Yeah, I think there's a few. Um, I think employee listening uh, is already kind of a hot topic in the internal comms world this year. There's a couple of new books out about it. Um, Traditionally, organizations did a lot of one-way communication, broadcast communication. You would send something out and then you tick the box and we say, we have communicated with people. But now there is a lot more emphasis on two-way communication. That means that the audience has a way to respond or interact with that communication. So um, for example, maybe you have a digital newsletter that is pushed out at employees. But each article has the option to leave a comment or leave a like or ask a question. That's a two-way channel. Or maybe you have a town hall meeting, and there is lots of time at the end for people to ask questions, to send in um, a poll, or whatever it is. So I don't just mean, when I say employee listening, I don't just mean you know your annual engagement survey, but I mean actively creating lots of different mechanisms to listen regularly. Like really listen, evaluate what's being said, and then please God, taking action on it. I see so many organizations get really frustrated. They're like, no one's filling out our employee surveys. And I go, okay, well, tell me what you did with the data from the last one. They go, oh, we didn't have time. No, we didn't. I'm like, well, why don't you go and fix that stuff? And then maybe ask them again next year, like pause. I think another trend is obviously artificial intelligence. it's a very interesting one in the world of communication because communication is a very creative field. And for creative people, there's this tension then with artificial intelligence where it seems to threaten our identity and it threatens the way that we work. I um, did an interesting AI experiment last year. I wanted to get a new headshot for my LinkedIn. It was when I launched my business and I thought, oh, I need to, I need to have something like better than a selfie for my smartphone. But I really hate having my picture taken, like I'm super awkward and just hate getting it done. So I had heard about an AI tool where you could upload like 20 selfies of yourself just from your smartphone. And then this tool would kind of magically make your professional headshots. And I have to say, it was kind of amazing. Like it worked really well. Loads of pictures were crap, but there were some really good ones. If you ever go on my LinkedIn, my profile picture is an AI headshot. But what was really interesting about this experiment was what bit that happened next because I talked about it on social media and I showed some of the pictures and most of the comments and discussions that followed were people who were quite curious about it like oh I've never seen anything like this before this is quite interesting give me the link I want to try this myself but there was a small but very vocal minority who were actually quite angry at me Um, And really left me a lot of comments that said, um, I think this is very inauthentic and I think you're misrepresenting yourself. And how can you proclaim that that's you when it's not? And it just made me very curious about the idea that, you know, AI is going to take our jobs and it's threatening our identity. Whereas I think possibly a more sensible and reasonable approach is, well, there's a new tool on the market, How can I leverage that to do my job a little bit quicker, mundane tasks and go into the robot and then I can do more of the creative stuff. So I'd be very I'll be watching closely, you know, how AI is um, evolving over the year and how communicators are either embracing it or resisting it.
1: Thanks very much Joanna and thank you so much for telling us that story about the AI generated picture. I would love if a few people would go and try that out and leave us some comments on LinkedIn and let us know how that turned out for you. I'll try it myself. Joanna just to end off what advice do you have just in a few sentences for aspiring internal communications professionals who are looking to make a positive impact within their organization and grow their own career?
0: Well, no surprises here, but I'm gonna say get curious. Get curious about absolutely everything. So get curious about the value that internal communication can bring to an organization. So can you make explicit links between the business goals and communication activity? Get curious about your employees. Can you get a better understanding of your audiences, what they care about? Get curious about your channels. Are you reaching everyone effectively? Can you get metrics so your channels fit for purpose? And also, really, don't get stuck inside the internal comms bubble. Like, Get curious about the wider world. Look at trends in consumer communication, too. So like, what is it about TikTok videos, for example, that people respond so well to? What could you learn from that? Look at LinkedIn. Why do some posts go viral and others don't? What can you learn about the writing style or the formatting? I think if you're curious, then you are, by default, a lifelong learner you will never stop learning, you will never stop getting better. So just get curious and commit to that and you'll already be on the path to success in my view.
1: Some great insights there, Joanna. Thank you very much for joining us today on the IMI Talking Leadership Podcast. And thank you to everyone for listening. You can subscribe on SoundCloud or your preferred podcast provider to ensure that you don't miss an episode. Until next time.